Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here. So glad you guys are here. Great to be together. If you're new with us, thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, my name's Dan. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, really, I'm, I'm really glad you guys are here. And um, if you're newer and you haven't filled out one of the connection cards in the bulletin, please do so when, when you feel comfortable doing that. We would just, I would love to get to know you and know who you are. And, and, uh, and uh, even if you just put an email or a phone number on there so we can... Um, Meet you, and then next week, uh, I believe after the service, we're going to have a meet the leaders time after church in the uh, the lobby out there. And so, if you want to hang out for a few minutes and just um, meet me and, and the elders and deacons and some of the ministry leaders, we would love to to have you do that. A uh, couple announcements, real quick. We got an announcement that uh, someone with a Dodge Dakota out there has their lights on, so <laughs> this would be a good time to shut those off if you want. Um, also, tonight, you guys, the, again, the roller skating party is at 6 o'clock, and if you don't roller skate, that's totally fine. I don't normally ro roller skate much either, um, but it really is. We found this to be an event that is one of the great community-building <laughs> events, actually, for our church because we get the whole place to ourselves, and uh, just to hang out for an hour or two, there's lots of tables, and uh, we would love to, to have you there and, and uh, just get to know you. And again, it's free if, uh, if you're not skating. And then also, just I want you guys to, to look around at the seats around you. You'll notice there are empty seats. And those are seats we want to fill on Easter. Right? Easter's two weeks away. And we want people here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? We want our neighbors here. So this week... And next week, why don't you just praying about who can, who can you invite? Uh, man, we've got two to three baptisms uh, slated right now for Easter, which is going to be great. What a great witness to, for our, our neighbors to see that and for us to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And so it's going to be a great day. The children's ministry is going to be incredible that morning. I mean, it always is, but uh, Kim's really planning some extra stuff for Easter morning. So please invite, invite, invite. Let's be an outward-focused church. Let's be a church that is, uh, has hearts that hurt for our community and wants our neighbors to know the love of Jesus Christ, okay? So um, pray about who you can invite to join us on Easter at 10 a.m. Um, if you're new with us, thanks, thanks for being here. We're, we're, we're going through a book of the Bible, which is what we normally do at this time because we believe that the Bible is, is God's word. It is what Jesus said it is. That it is breathed out by God the Holy Spirit and, and totally true and totally reliable. And so what we do during our message time is we read through the Bible because what we need is to hear God. We need to hear God's thoughts on our lives. And so we're going through a book in the Bible called Acts, and, or the Acts of the Apostles. And this book is about Jesus' followers, his disciples, and what happened to them shortly after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. After Jesus left the scene physically, what happened to all of his followers? And so far we've read about some, some incredible things that God did among that group of people, and also through that group of first Christians. And specifically, recently, we've been reading about uh, the apostles Peter and John and how they healed a man who had been unable to walk his entire life. 
And everybody in Jerusalem knew this guy. They knew this man that was healed because they passed by him every day as they went into the temple to pray. And so when all the people saw this man suddenly healed, it was undeniable that Peter had done a miracle. This is something none of their physicians could do, none of uh, the people could do. It was a miracle. And as everybody gathered around in the temple to, to see this man and to, to touch him, to see it with their own eyes, Peter used this as an opportunity to preach and to explain to them what was happening. And he told the crowd that this man was healed by Jesus, okay, which is kind of a funny thing to say, because this is the same man, Jesus, whom this crowd, many of the people in this crowd, had mocked and crucified only a few months earlier. And so Peter assured them that Jesus was risen from the dead, that he came back. He, he says this several times in this sermon, we are eyewitnesses to this. You see, you've seen this with your own eyes. And he assures the crowd, this miracle was not done uh, by my power or by my piety or by the power or piety of this of this uh, disabled man, it was done only by Jesus. And Peter tells them that he and John were prompted by the Holy Spirit, essentially, um, to heal this man in this place on this day, and that they did this through supernatural faith that God gave them. And so today I want to pick up at verse 17, and I want us to read the rest of Peter's message. Peter says things here to this crowd. And, and to you and to me, uh, that the promise to us freedom from fear and freedom from guilt and shame in our lives, freedom from spiritual darkness in our lives. Peter promises us joy in Jesus' name, which we can have today even amidst the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in. Peter tells us that we can have a real hope for the future because of what Jesus has done. And so I don't know about you, but when I read this, this is what I want. <laughs> I want freedom from fear. I want freedom from guilt and shame and spiritual darkness. I want joy in my life that is bigger than whatever I'm going through. I want hope for the future that is there's more than just trying to positive, my th positive think my way out of things, right? I want real hope that is grounded on a reliable and trustworthy God. And if you want those things too, then pay attention today as we explore God's word together. Before we dig in, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us. <clears throat> Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you so much for inviting us to draw near to you, even in the midst of our own mistakes, in the midst of our own doubts, in the midst of our own faults, our own sinful habits, our own brokenness. We thank you. You don't tell us to get our lives all together before we can come to you. We thank you, in fact, that you are the one running to us. You run to us where we're at. You hug us. You embrace us, just like the dad in the parable of the prodigal sons. And, uh, Lord, we confess to you we sin against you. We, we've sinned against others in many ways, Lord. We're sorry for that. And we ask that you would forgive us again and purify us. And please grant us repentance. And work out your power in us to turn us away from wrong and wicked ways of thinking about you and about the world around us. Please turn our minds and our hearts and our words and our actions to you in faith so that we can love you, so that we can love one another in the ways that uh, you instruct us to, in the ways that bring you glory. 
We just thank you for this opportunity you've given us this morning to gather as, as a church here um, and to worship you. And so Holy Spirit, please teach our minds and our hearts and our bodies now. We believe we will, we will not benefit today unless you work in us and through us. Please encourage those of us here who love you and help us to become more like you. Please uh, grant faith and repentance for the first time to those here who have not trusted in you yet for eternal life and salvation from sin. And Lord, as we seek to love one another in our own families and in our church family, uh, help us to turn outward to our neighbors where we live and work. Uh, use this passage today to help us love our peers and our coworkers and our teammates and our neighbors. And again, God, make us an outward-focused church, not an inward-focused church. Um, align our desires with your desires. Help us to run after lost people the same way that you do and the same way that you run after those of us who know you. We pray all of this in Christ's name for your glory. Amen. All right, so if you've got a Bible with you, please open up to Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. Um, we'll put it on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, we, can, we can help you out there too or point you to some good Bibles that you could invest in. Um, let us know after the service if you're interested in that. So Acts chapter 3. I'm gonna, I'm, I, it's really important that we get all the context here. And since this is one story, one narrative, I'm just going to read the whole thing. Acts 3, 1 to 26, and then we'll focus in on verses 17 to 26 today. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. We are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. 
And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. It's the Lord's word. So as we focus here on verses uh, 17 to 26 now, let's ask three questions. And if you don't write all these down right now, it's okay, I'll be going through them again. First, how has God guided the events of human history to bless us and to glorify his own name? How has God guided the events of human history to bless us and at the same time to glorify his own name? And then second, according to this passage, how can we receive God's forever blessing? How can we receive God's forever blessing? And then number three, what does God's forever blessing look like? What does God's forever blessing look like? That's what we'll dig into here. First, how has God guided the events of human history to bless us and to glorify his own name? Let's start by looking at verses 17 to 18. The Apostle Peter says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Peter tells this crowd in Jerusalem, I know that uh, you didn't know what you were doing when you delivered over Jesus to Pilate, uh, when you publicly denied Jesus and asked for a murderer to be released among you instead of Jesus, and when you killed Jesus. I know you didn't believe that you were killing your own holy God who is the author of life, but that's what you did. But I want you to know that while you were mocking and killing God's son, Jesus, you were actually fulfilling the plans that God made before the creation of the world. You and Satan thought that you were getting rid of Jesus, but in reality, you were the tools God used to make Jesus the savior of the world. That's what he's saying here. He says, God foretold all of his plans by the mouth of all the ancient prophets. God foretold that his son Jesus Christ, the the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would suffer and die for sin. And God not only foretold that it would happen, but God then fulfilled his promises through your evil actions. And when Peter preaches the gospel in this passage, and in several other passages in Acts, he often points out 
that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for sin and for sinners is the fulfillment of ancient prophecies that God spoke through human prophets. So, so this idea of prophecy is very important to Peter and to the apostles. And he does this because those prophecies come from the Old Testament of the Bible, or it's the Jews' own sacred scriptures. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament written at that time. It was the, what we now call the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant. And just as Jesus taught Peter how all of the Old Testament pointed forward to Jesus, now Peter's doing the same thing for, for that crowd and for us. Peter is pointing us to the reality that all of the Old Testament pointed forward to Jesus. And the ancient prophecies, uh, prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, this, this, these scriptures which they treasured and which they meticulously preserved, these prophecies clearly depict Jesus of Nazareth as God the Son, the Christ, the Messiah, sent from heaven to save humanity from sin. Prophecy is a powerful tool to use when sharing the gospel with others because it's almost impossible to deny it. It is not historically possible to deny that these prophecies were written about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus lived. You can't, wherever you're at, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, you can't deny that. You, you might be able to try to make an argument that it wasn't referring to Jesus, but you, we've got, we have manuscripts, right? You can't deny this historically. Um, mathematically or statistically, you, if you're a rational thinker, or if you want to be, you know that uh, it's not mathematically possible to deny the probability of one person fulfilling dozens and dozens of prophecies. That uh, it is almost impossible, the likelihood of that happening. Yet, in the ancient prophecies of the Old Testament, this is what we, we know. In those prophecies, the Lord foretold the village in which Jesus would be born by name, that Jesus' mother would be a virgin. The Old Testament prophecies prophesied who Jesus' relatives would be, what he would teach, how he would suffer, how he would die, that he would rise from the dead, that he would ascend physically to heaven, and that he would return to earth someday in the sky. That's all Old Testament. That's not even in the New Testament yet. That's powerful stuff, Okay. Let's jump down to Acts 3.22 now to, to read how Peter kind of fleshes this out um, about some of the specific prophecies he mentions to that crowd. Peter says, first points to Moses, right? He says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So Moses was one of the, and is one of the most epic figures in the history of Judaism. And Peter tells the crowd that Moses pointed forward to Jesus. And, and not only that, but Moses told the Jews, listen to whatever this one tells you. And then he says, every person who does not listen to Jesus will be destroyed. So even in this ancient prophecy from Moses, we see the gospel, we see the good news of Jesus being declared that says, if you want to be saved from destruction that sin brings, then do what Jesus tells you to do. Listen to him. Okay? Sin is, is disobeying God. 
It's disobeying his word, and we've all sinned. The Bible's real clear about that. It says it over and over again. Every human being has fallen short of the glory of God. And sin is, is uh, it's like a poison-covered candy in that it tastes good sometimes, but it kills us. It, it does not help us at all, even though it promises to. And even though some sins may feel good for a moment, in reality, sin hurts us. That's what it's doing. It's hurting us, and it's bleeding out through our lives and hurting the people around us and the community in which we live. And ultimately, the, according to the Bible, the power that sin has over us comes to fruition in our lives when we die. Okay? Because God didn't create us as temporary beings. He created us as bodies with a spirit. And so we are eternal spirits that will live forever. And the power of sin comes to fruition in our lives when we die, because at that point is when our sin doesn't leave us, but it condemns us to a place that Jesus called hell, which is the place of eternal destruction, because that's what sin does. It destroys. And this is why the ancient prophet Moses said, listen to Jesus so that you might have eternal life and not be eternally destroyed. And it's incredible that this happened centuries and centuries and centuries before Jesus ever lived. And then Peter goes on and he makes this really incredible sweeping statement in verse 24 that should shape the way that we read all of Scripture. He says, And all the prophets who have spoken, all of them, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaimed these days. So the days which Peter are referring to here are, are the last days. Uh, we talked about the, that some in, uh, before in Acts, that the last days are, is the name given to this period of time in human history between Jesus' first coming, which was 2,000 years ago, and his second coming, which he says could be at any moment. And so this window of time are, is, is the last days. Uh, this is a, a window of time in which God is is showing grace and mercy to humanity, allowing people here in Stanwood, here in this room, in our community, and all over the world to hear the good news of Jesus so that they might trust in him for eternal life and be saved from their sin. And Peter says here that all the Jewish prophets who have ever spoken, from Samuel to everyone who came after him, also proclaimed these last days. All the prophets were pointing to now when Jesus would come to save us from our sin. And so when we're reading the Old Testament, which is that part of the Bible that was written before Jesus came in the flesh, when we read that, we can ask questions like, how does this Old Testament passage point to our need for the Christ, to our need for sa uh, the Savior, Jesus? Um, how does this passage point to the reality that people from all nations and people groups can be saved by God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, how does this Old Testament passage reveal the faithfulness of God to people who just disobey over and over and over again? People like me. How have I experienced the grace of God in my own life in a way that I see him showing his grace to these people in the Old Testament? Those are good questions to ask when you read through the Old Testament. And then Peter continues to tell the crowd how the father of the Jews, Abraham, okay, 
pointed forward to Jesus. In verses 25 to 26, Peter tells this crowd, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So all the way back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, and all the way uh, at the beginning of Genesis, in chapter 12, God made a covenant or a promise with a man named Abraham, or Abram. And God said to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And it was through the family line of Abraham that Jesus was eventually born. And this is why, for instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, they start with genealogy. You trace back, oh, I see, it goes all the way back to Abraham. This is the family line through which the blessing of God came. Why was Jesus born, according to this ancient covenant? To bless all the families of the earth. Jesus came to bless all of humanity by living and dying for our sin and by rising from the dead in victory over death and over sin. And nobody forced him to do it. <laughs> he just loves us. And he's glorious and he deserves our, our honor and our worship because he's God. And in doing this, Jesus rescued every person who trusts in him. Uh, Jesus, it says, adopted believers out of this kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light or his, uh, his family. This is why I love the picture of adoption when I hear about people adopting kids because it's such a picture of what God has done for us. It is the gospel message. This is what God, what merit did I have? Nothing. Someone came in and adopted me and made me born again and made me part of their family. That's what Jesus did for you if you trust in him. Um, and through Jesus, we have ongoing friendship with God and eternal life in God and receive power from God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And this is significant. It's funny. Most of us in here will be considered Gentiles, but this was, ex 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 which is a non-Jew. But when Peter's preaching to the Jews, this couldn't, this, again, this was all or nothing. He's putting it all out on the line. This was extremely significant, what he's saying about the prophets. And in verse 26, Peter adds that according to God's sovereign wisdom, Jesus was born to the Jews first, right? To sent to proclaim his good news of salvation to them first in order to bless them. And it is God's desire that all of the Jews and that all of humanity everywhere would turn away from wickedness and be blessed in Jesus Christ. Thank God, God is a God of blessing. Isn't that a great thing? He wants blessing for us. And we have that in Jesus, in him. And as we've seen before in this book of Acts, uh, in which we're going to see again and again, God... <coughs> is like a sovereign orchestrator of the symphony. And he's, he's orchestrating the events of human history to fulfill all of his ancient prophecies, prophecies and promises. None of them will go unfulfilled. And at the very same time as he's doing this, human beings are responsible for the choices that they make that ultimately help fulfill God's prophecies and promises. 
if you look at verses 13 to 16, Peter is very clearly assigning responsibility and blame to the people in the crowd who helped murder Jesus. Peter says, you delivered Jesus over. You denied Jesus in the presence of Pilate. You denied the Holy and Righteous One. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. And then after, immediately after doing that, after assigning blame and responsibility to these people, Peter says in verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So who fulfilled God's prophecies and ensured that Jesus was condemned and crucified at the appointed time in human history? God. God allowed humanity to choose what it always chooses in accordance with its will, which is to kill God. You hear that? He allowed humanity to choose what it always chooses in accordance with its will, which is in bondage to sin, which is to kill God. And as humanity carried out its will to once again, who, who, did, who did it follow in the garden instead of God? Followed the murderer. What did it do to Jesus? It murdered Jesus, humanity. And so as humanity carried out its will to once again follow the murderer Satan instead of the Lord, the Lord displayed the depths of his grace and compassion to humanity in a way that we will never fully understand. God, get this, God used the sinful will of humanity to kill God in a way that provides salvation to the people who killed him. Isn't that amazing? Please? Yes? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, listen to this. As we killed God's only son, Jesus, God was saving us. That's amazing. When we trust in Jesus, when we trust in God's eternal uh, salvation in Jesus, his blessing, the blessing he promised to Abraham is ours. Why would God do that for people who want to kill him? Well, the, the Bible, I mean, we can't totally wrap our heads around this, but the Bible says that God is love even when it requires him to die. God is our creator, and God is gracious and compassionate. So what the Bible says is that receiving salvation from the Lord, uh, or receiving every good gift from the Lord, and receiving friendship with the Lord really has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. This is what we mean when we say that salvation in Jesus Christ is by grace alone. It's because only because of God's unexplainable and amazing grace that he is the one. You gotta read the parable of the prodigal sons if you never read that. He is the undignified father who gets up and chases after his rebellious son as he's coming home. He's the one who hugs and embraces his son and kisses him and says, we're gonna kill the fattened calf for you. That's the picture of what God is like for us. Amen? Wow, that's so awesome. In in. And what this tells us is that God uses wicked people and he uses circumstances and events to bring incredible good for those that love God. That, that God died for and now pursues and saves people in bondage to sin. People, wicked people. People um, 
like you and me, even though we may not use that word to describe us, we're forgiven by God's grace. You know, we still wrestle with this thing called sin. God uses people like us for his glory. And he redeems us from sin. And so Christians, be encouraged right now, whatever tragedy you might experience or have experienced, whatever difficulties the Lord has ordained for your life now, in the past, or in the future, God promises in his word to bring blessing to you through the suffering you're enduring and as a result of the suffering you're enduring. And the Lord's blessing, thankfully, because he's an eternal God and we're eternal creatures, the Lord's blessing is an eternal blessing. And by eternal there, I'm not saying the, I won't get too specific, the eternality of God is different than the eternality of us. We are, I, I mean that in a way that refers to time alone, in the sense that we will always exist. Um, this is what the word tells us. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, everything you see, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's what goes on. Or in the ancient words of Joseph, uh, in the book of Genesis, as he spoke to his brothers who'd heard him, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God has guided the events of human history to bless us by prophetically promising to send Jesus to save us from sin and death. God has uh, guided the events of human history to bless us by fulfilling these promises in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God the Son. God has guided the events of human history to bless us by forever saving all who trust in Jesus for eternal life. And right now, God is guiding the events of human history, of our world, by working together all things for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And as the only one who has done these things, as the only one who can do these things for us, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one to receive honor and glory and praise for this. We can take no credit for this. We, we take no credit for initiating our salvation, for working, for blessing. It is all because of God's grace toward rebels. The Lord alone changes hearts, makes souls born again. He grants us alone faith and in Jesus and repentance. The Lord alone enables our wills and our desires and our thoughts and our words and our actions to obey him and to honor him and to enjoy him and to give him this glory that he's due. And according to this passage, this is how God has guided the events of human history to bless us and at the same time to bring glory to his own name. The second question for today's passage then is, how can we receive this? How can we receive God's forever blessing? Well, you have to look closely here to see how God tells us in this passage we can receive his forever blessing because in all verses 11 to 26, there are only two commands and they're both at the beginning of verse 19. Through Peter, God simply tells us to repent, therefore, and turn back. That's the instruction to the crowd. Repent and turn back. 
This is the exact same thing Peter told the crowd in Jerusalem during his first sermon. Do you remember that? Um, on that day of Pentecost, when the travelers were, were hearing the gospel in their own language, Peter told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And here again, Peter tells the crowd, repent, turn back. And repent is not a word we commonly use today, uh, but it's, a very, it's one of those words in the Bible that it, it's important to understand. And why do we use that word repent in, instead of using a more common name? Because there are certain words in the Greek language and in the Bible that are worth preserving because they have a deeper meaning than, than really our English words can, can portray just in a single word. And so, as with many Greek words, this word repent has a lot of kind of nuanced meanings, but it simply, uh, most simply means change your mind and turn around. That's the instruction given to the crowd. Change your mind, turn around. And the idea here is that God is speaking to the world, and he's telling the world, you're going the wrong way. That's what he's saying. Turn back. Turn around. You are walking away from me. You're walking away from blessing. Turn around and walk toward me. Walk toward blessing. Stop walking toward sin and destruction. We see this all throughout the Bible in this word repent. Your mind, your heart are set on sin, on yourself, on this temporary world. God says you're walking away from me. You've turned, when you're walking away from me, your back is toward me. You're, you've turned your back on Jesus. He says, so repent. Turn 180 degrees. Turn around. Turn to me, Jesus. Trust me. Change your mind about me. Believe that I am the Lord, that I am the Savior. Believe that I want good for you. Believe that I want um, blessing for you. Don't believe the lies of the world. Don't believe the other messages you hear in this world that tell you this is not what Jesus wants. This is not who Jesus really is. Jesus says, turn from those voices and listen to me. Don't keep walking to Satan. Turn around and walk toward me. And he doesn't, you know, when we see this word repent, um, Ed Welch, who's a, he's a great counselor, biblical counselor that I really, I love his books. But he says, um, you know, when God gives us commands like repent, we can hear that in a few different tones. In one sense, we can hear it as a, in, you know, like a military leader telling, commanding somebody, repent, repent. And in one sense, God is, I mean, God is God, and man, he can do whatever he wants, and he can do that. And, and it's good that he does that. And at the same time, he can say it like a dad who loves his kids and says, you guys, repent. Repent because I love you. I want you to repent. I want you to turn, because you're going to, to destruction. And Jesus says, I want you to look at your life and see how lost you are without me, and see how destructive your life and your relationships are when you do things your way. I want you to come to me. I want you to confess your need for me. I want you to be safe under my wings. I want you to, you know, be sorrowful over your rebellion, but I'm not going to beat you over the head and forever about that I'm here to forgive you and purify you that's why I sent Jesus 
So turn to me and follow me and trust in me alone. That's what God is telling us when he tells us, repent. And some of you today maybe have never repented. Um, Maybe you've never turned away from the world and turned to Jesus in faith to save you and to, to give you eternal life. And if you want God to save you from your sin today, and if you want to have a living friendship with God, and if you believe that Jesus is God, and that he did die, and that he did rise again, and that he is alive, and that he is orchestrating all things for his glory and for your good, then ask Jesus to save you, and he will. Call on his name, and you will be saved. And then I would tell you to be baptized, because that's what Peter says, and that's what Jesus says. Be baptized not to be saved, right? Salvation is only a gift of grace that we accept through faith. But be baptized as a kind of your first step of obedience to Jesus because that's what the step he tells us to do. So be baptized as soon as possible if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized. And, and come talk to me or another leader after the service if you, if you do trust in Jesus and you want to be baptized in his name. And once God makes a person born again through faith in Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit enters us. He, and he, the word in the Bible uses is seals as a verb. The Holy Spirit seals us. Kind of like in the Roman Empire when you would have uh, an official letter and he would use a seal to say this is from the emperor. That's what God does to us. He seals us and says this one is mine. Okay. And the Holy Spirit seals us as a guarantee of his or her eternal salvation in Jesus. That's awesome. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says that. So if you want to, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, read that. Christians, what this means for you is you are eternally safe and saved in Jesus Christ. And this also means then that daily repentance is for you too. Not so that you can be saved again, but so that you can experience more of Jesus' saving and redeeming power in your life. Repentance from sin is the way that God pushes the darkness of sin away from us, and he pushes Satan away from us, and he purifies us daily. And so every day, those of us who are privileged to have the Bible in our own language, and to own a Bible, this is why we want to come to God's word and be purified by his word. We, uh, every day, by God's power, we want to turn away from the sinful patterns that we still wrestle with, and we want to repent and turn to Jesus in faith and trust him to be everything that we need him to be for us and everything that he promises to be for us. And, and so daily, we confess our sins and our doubts to him, and, and we receive through faith clean consciences, and we receive through faith a renewed zeal for the Lord because we thank God for covering us with the sin-killing blood of Jesus. That's what God has covered us with, the sin-killing blood of Jesus. Sin, Satan, death, and hell have no power over us anymore because we belong to Jesus. That's awesome. (laughs) So we receive and we appropriate God's forever blessing by repenting and turning back to the Lord. That's how, by repenting. And the third question about today's passage is, what does God's forever blessing look like? Well, in verses 19 
Starting in verse 19, the Lord tells us three ways that God's forever blessing looks like in our lives. Peter says, repent therefore and turn back that first, that your sins may be blotted out. Second, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And third, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Again, he, if you just look in this passage and count the word times you see prophet or prophecy, you'll see it, I think, at least five or six times. So, first here, God tells us to repent and to turn to him in faith so that our sins may be blotted out. And the reason that Peter lists this blessing first is because the greatest need of every human being who's ever lived is to have his or her sins blotted out by God. That's what you need. That's what I need. Blotted out also means wiped away or washed away. It means having your sins removed from you. If the punishment for your sins is destruction and death, and you want to escape destruction and death, you must have the sin removed from you, and only God can do that for you. Unless your sins are blotted out, this is what happens. We, you, I, will live this life on earth disconnected from God. Um, We will dishonor God with our lives, even if we are living very good and moral lives in the eyes of the world. If we're not living for the glory of Jesus Christ, we're not glorifying God. (laughs) Um, Unless your sins are blotted out, you are still chained spiritually to sin. And this sin is, takes us to death and hell. And it chains us to fear. It chains us to this fear of what's going to happen when I die. And it's going to change us to this fear, it chains us to this fear of, of hell. If you read Hebrews, it talks about this is the fear that humanity has had since the first humans. This fear of death and what, what's going to happen. Jesus came to free us from that fear. And you need him to break you free from the bondage of sin that we're all naturally in bondage to so that you can legitimately say on the grounds of Jesus Christ and his holiness, I'm not chained to that anymore. And that has nothing to do with me. That has to do with how awesome Jesus is, how perfect he is. My trust isn't in my ability to pray perfectly and to have perfect faith. My trust is actually in how holy and perfect Jesus Christ is. That's where salvation is. When wicked humans nailed Jesus to the cross by their choice and and by God's sovereign plan, Jesus became the sin. When he was killed, the sin was killed too for his church. And when he bled, he washed away our sin with his blood. Only Jesus can do this. Get this? This is why Jesus is exclusive. In that only he is God. And this is why, though, also Jesus is inclusive in that the gospel proclamation is for all peoples of the earth. Right? It's for the all the earth. But it's exclusive because it's, in reality, there is one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. He alone has come and suffered for us and taken away our sin. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we reject him, what happens? We reject the sin-bearing God, the sin-bearing Savior, then this sin is on us still. 
the suffering is on our heads, what happens is we will then have to suffer the punishment for our sin after this life in hell. That's why Peter says, repent and turn to Jesus. To, to have God do this for you and me is your, great, your and my greatest need. You know, no doubt <clears throat> you likely feel burdened by many needs in your life. The need for food, the need for money, the need for income, the need for a job, the need for a car, for shelter, for clothes, for insurance and health care and retirement and, and friends. But as real as we feel the need for these things, all of these things are here in a minute and they're gone. That's reality. They're all temporary. God wants us to think big picture. He wants us to think eternity here. You are a soul. You will never cease to exist. You will live forever, either in heaven or hell. Jesus says, turn to me and be blessed. And he initiates this by the blotting out of our sins. The second way that God describes his blessing in our lives is by telling us to repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When we trust in Jesus, he promises us this times of refreshing. Doesn't that sound nice? Refreshing. I want that. I want weeks of refreshing. I want months and years of refreshing. And I'm so thankful that life with Jesus is eternal and that it never ends. And so what we have to look forward to is an eternity of refreshment in the presence of Jesus. According to verse 20, where does this refreshing come from? From the presence of the Lord. That's where refreshment is. That's where true, lasting, spiritual refreshment comes, from the presence. So, so, so when we're away from the Lord, when we're not in his presence, when we're distant from the Lord, when we're living our lives out of sync with the Lord, we don't receive the Lord's refreshment because we're not coming to him for refreshment. God invites us, though, <clears throat> his offer is not, you know, I'll fit you in, I'll pencil you in for a 15-minute visit once every six months. God says, I'm here for you 24-7. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. So Christian, whenever you call on the name of Jesus, whenever you are, are sharing life, doing fellowship with other Christians, whenever you're seeking to honor God with your life, with your, your time and your talents and your money, whenever you're <clears throat> making disciples or singing songs to the Lord, God is with you in a special way, regardless of how you feel. Hear that? Regardless of how you feel, the truth of God doesn't change. He is with you. He is for you. And it's really cool how this refreshment works out its way in us and through us because one of the ancient prophecies that described these last days said that God would <clears throat> refresh his creation as the power and message of the gospel of Jesus pushes back in the darkness uh, in our world. And so what that means is that this message of, of good news in Jesus is not only for those who are saved, but it actually brings refreshment to God's creation. It's always this image, you know, I don't know if you ever watched, well, watched, read the Chronicles of Narnia, um, but I remember that movie when Aslan is breathing onto the creation and it's coming back to life after it's been frozen for the long winter. This is what the Spirit does in our lives. He brings us to life, 
which we couldn't do on our own. And then he uses us to bring refreshment to his creation. It's a really amazing thing. Um, and when the Holy Spirit does this, he helps us to, uh, to let go of life a little bit, to stop worrying so much. Because we're no longer living for ourselves or for our own glory. We're living for God and for his glory. And we want to do that in a way that's centered around the gospel, this good news of Jesus. And the way we do that is we rest in the grace of God that always catches us, that always meets us right where we're at when we fall short. It means we're not overly harsh on ourselves or on others uh, when we fall short. Rather, we want to show by God's power the same grace and patience with others that he's shown to us. And so refreshment comes when we rest in the presence of God, when we fill our hearts and minds with the promises of God, when we savor these promises like really good food that we don't just try to gulp down, but we want to taste them. And when we keep our eyes on the Lord and not on ourselves, that's where this refreshment comes from. And as Christians, we, we just want to, this is, this, is, this is why we got to get past the idea of spending time with God as a duty, right? It's, God is calling you to a time of rest with him every day, 24-7. And it comes from being in his presence. And as he refreshes you, supernaturally, he's going to refresh the people around you and the creation around you in ways we can't fully understand. But it's awesome. This is the way God has ordained to refresh his creation. And then the refreshment and restoration of creation will come when he returns again. And that's this third way that God describes his blessing in our lives says, repent that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So God's forever blessing for us will come to fruition when Jesus returns to earth to restore all things. And it's interesting here that God tells us to repent so that God will send the Christ back to earth. So in other words, there's a relationship between our repenting and Jesus' returning. And that relationship, according to Jesus' words, and what this is telling us, seems to be that Jesus is waiting to return until the gospel is preached to all peoples. And when Jesus' church is formed among all peoples who are repenting and turning to him in faith. This is why multiplying disciples in Stanwood and to the ends of the earth is so crucial, you guys. That God has given us a mission not here just trying to survive. He's given us a mission to go to our neighbors and go to the rest of the world and to pray for them and to love them and to share the good news of God with them about the blessing of Jesus Christ. This is why we gladly give over $36,000 a year to mission work happening outside of Cedar Home. Because we want to complete the mission Jesus has given us. We want to see people from all people groups on planet Earth repent and be saved. When Jesus returns to restore all things, we'll finally receive the reward, a reward. What's the word, reward? Well, you've been really good, so you get a reward. Well, the Bible kind of hints that we will be rewarded for deeds done in the body, but this is the reality. The, even those deeds are done by God, okay? We don't take credit for those. But we, 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 we're going to get a reward when Jesus comes, but the reward isn't anything that we've earned. On that day, we will receive eternal, refreshing life with Jesus in the flesh. We will see Jesus in the flesh. That's going to be awesome. 
and we will live in his presence forever. That's reward. And the Lord will then create new bodies for us because in his, all his wisdom, in the way he decided to create us, it wasn't just his souls that floated around, but there's something precious to him about the physical. There is, about the physical body. And he's going to create new glorified bodies for our souls to indwell on that day. Bodies that are like his, <clears throat> in that they will no longer be susceptible to sickness and suffering and pain and death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul worships God and, and describes this. Verses 51 to 57, he describes this moment when Jesus will give us new bodies. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's going to be a great day. And as we begin life with our resurrected Lord in our glorified bodies on that day, it says that Jesus will judge his creation and then he'll restore his creation. Justice will reign forever. Jesus' name will be eternally vindicated and honored and worshiped. Those who trust in Jesus will have everlasting peace in God's presence. And God will be then eternally glorified by his creation. And according to today's passage, God has guided all of this. He's guided the events of human history in order to bless us and in order to glorify his own name. He's done this by making great promises and he has fulfilled those promises in Jesus Christ or will bring them to fulfillment in Jesus. He, he orchestrates human history, even the tragedies and the sufferings in our lives <clears throat> for our blessing and for the blessing of all who trust in Jesus. And we receive God's forever blessing of eternal salvation by repenting, by turning away from Satan and sin and death, and by turning to Jesus in faith and trusting him to be all that we need him to be and that he promises to be for us and that he is. And in giving us his forever blessing in Jesus Christ, God blots out our sin. He gives us times of refreshment in his presence. And Jesus will return to earth to restore his creation. God is so good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Um, we thank you for these promises. And <clears throat> we thank you that you give us hope uh, that is not a mere wishful thinking or a try an attempt to be positive, but even when it, we in our flesh can't be positive, God, we trust you and your perfection and who you are for us. We thank you that your promises are true, whether or not we want them to be true, whether or not we, we have even, you know, we, we believe them. It's, it's incredible. You're, you are true. You are the Savior. You are the God of the universe. And, and we just thank you, God, for um, being so patient with us, not just tossing us away and being done with us, but running to us putting your arms around us, celebrating that we've come to you, God, by your grace and power. 
And Lord, please change us for your glory. Help us to uh, experience times of refreshment with you and with your church. And use us, God, however you want, please. I mean, redeem our lives for your glory in a way that actually the power of God in us and the message of Jesus Christ through us refreshes the world, other people, and your creation. His sovereign plan is incredible. We could have never dreamt it up on our own, God. It is your plan. All glory to you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.